Uh, we're going to uh, continue our way through 1 Corinthians today. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, let's go ahead and pray. God, again, we're just so thankful for this day and thankful uh, for yet another opportunity that, that you have called your people together to corporately worship you, to corporately sing to you, to corporately declare your glory and your praises, God, that we could come together corporately to hear your word, God, that we could come together uh, corporately just to be with one another. And uh, just prayerful today as we make our way through 1 Corinthians chapter 8, God, that you uh, would speak to us. Uh, God, that through the Holy Spirit, you would open up our minds and give us understanding of what your word has to say to us today. And not only that we would understand it on an intellectual level, but we would understand it uh, in such a way that it changes the way that we live. Uh, God, we, we're not interested in being here just to, to gain knowledge. God, change the way that we live. Change our hearts. Change our attitudes. Change our priorities. Change our perceptions uh, because of today. God, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So as, as we've been making our way through 1 Corinthians, Paul has been addressing a number of issues uh, in the Corinthian church and will continue to do so as we make our way through the book. And so today in chapter 8, he is yet addressing another uh, issue. And he's actually going to spend probably the next few chapters, uh, I think through chapter 10 or 11, addressing this issue that the Corinthian church had of eating food uh, that's been offered to idols. Now, some of you, you hear that and you're like, really? What's this have to do with me? Well, it does, I promise. By the end, you'll, you'll see what this has to do with us. Because as is often the case in the Bible and often the case in Paul's writings, he's addressing an issue, a specific issue, but there's a bigger issue at hand that he really is getting to and gets to the heart of the matter. And so, like I said, beginning with chapter 8, he's going to be addressing this for the next few Chapters, And I'm actually ex pretty excited, not, not that I'm normally not, but I guess especially excited for this next few weeks because I, I think that we're going to see on, on a bigger picture level and, and, and what Paul has to say, I, I'm hopeful it's going to uh, cut to the heart uh, for all of us. And so today we're going to see a few things, these, these dichotomies that Paul addresses. The first dichotomy that we're going to look at is the knowledge of God versus the knowing of God. And we, we talked about that uh, a couple of weeks ago when, when I got the chance to teach on a Wednesday night. And so we're going to look at that today. Uh, we're going to look at this dichotomy of uh, serving many gods versus serving the one God. And we're going to look at a third dichotomy of stumbling others versus sacrificial living. So let's go ahead and get right into it. And we're going to read verses 1 through 3, and we're going to look at the knowledge of God versus the knowing of God. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. So, so Paul doesn't waste any time in this, right? He brings up the issue concerning food offered to idols. He just comes right out and says, here's what we're going to deal with. Now, let me give you a little background to this because food offered to idols really isn't something that's relevant in our culture uh, here in 2013 America, right? Maybe in other parts of the world, but, but certainly not, not here. And, and so sometimes I think we have a little bit of trouble connecting maybe with some of these things that 
seemingly are not real relevant. And so kind of what was happening at this time is that pagan temples would offer uh, animal sacrifices to pagan gods, gods with a little g. And in this process, they, they wouldn't necessarily sacrifice the whole animal. And so there were parts of the animal left over. And so being the entrepreneurial guys they were, they would say, hey, let's take this to the marketplace and we'll sell it, right? It's perfectly good meat. So we'll sell it. And so some of the believers in Corinth would have a clean conscience about purchasing this meat uh, and eating it, whereas you had this other group of Corinthian believers who uh, thought that that was wrong, thought that it shouldn't happen, and so they didn't have a clean conscience when it came to uh, eating this meat that had been used in uh, pagan rituals. And so Paul quickly identifies in this kind of this contributing factor to the problem. Right? He talks about that we all possess this knowledge. Right? And what he's saying here is that, that we all know. We all know where this meat comes from. It's not a big secret. We all know. But here's the thing about knowledge that Paul says. Without love, it just puffs up. Right? If we have knowledge, if we know, we could know the scripture front to back. But if we don't have love, it simply just puffs up. And so what Paul is saying in this is that you have correct theology. Right? You, you have this understanding, right? You guys, the Corinthians were, were well studied. They knew the scripture. They had knowledge, and Paul acknowledges that. Right? And so you could say about these people that their theology was correct, but their application was incorrect. Right? Do you think that that could apply to us in 2013 America? Maybe that we would have correct knowledge, correct theology, correct understanding, but that we would apply it in a way that is not correct. And, and that's where this knowledge without love comes in, is that we apply what we know in an incorrect way when it's not done in love. Right? Francis Chan, a guy that, that a lot of us like to follow, says this. says, some of you could be brilliant and worthless. You could be like a great basketball player that never misses a shot, but always shoots at the other team's basket. He's a great shooter, but he's killing the team, right? Does that kind of paint a picture here? Brilliant, but worthless, right? Sounds kind of harsh, doesn't it? But that, that's what's happening in Corinth, right? Correct theology, incorrect application. And so Paul later in Corinthians would say it like this. He says this in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge... And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. If I don't have love, I'm nothing. Right? And this kind of sets the tone for the rest of what Paul is going to unpack uh, in this chapter. So kind of keep this as, as your context. Right? We, can, we can have knowledge of God, but it doesn't equate to knowing God. Right? Those are different things. Right? The, the Bible would say that the demons have knowledge of God, right? but they don't know God. Right? We can look at the world and say, okay, there's a lot of well-studied people out there. There's a lot of theologians that have knowledge. There's a lot of smart guys in colleges across the country who know this book probably more than you and I ever will. Right? But some of those guys, they don't know God. They know all about him, right? But they don't know him, right? Kind of an example, just because Johnny's sitting here in the front row, 
right? I've, I've heard about Johnny for a long time from Rory. Some of you guys have, right? Heard, oh, one day my friend Johnny's going to be here, right? Like, Rory talked about you a lot, dude, right? Johnny's coming, right? And his family's coming. Well, I heard all about him, right? We even connected on Facebook long before we ever met, right? But I, like, I knew a lot about Johnny, but I didn't know him, right, until he showed up. We met in the high school parking lot here a couple months ago, and, and, and now I know him, right? There's a difference between knowing about or knowing of and actually knowing. And so Paul talks about this, this connection here in verse 3 that he says, but if anyone loves God... He is known by God. And I want to unpack this a little bit because I, I think this is really cool. Right? What, what does it mean to, to be known by God? Right? A lot of us in this room might say, yeah, not only do I know of God, but I know God. Right? But what does it mean to be known by God? And is that different than knowing God? And, and, and what does that have to do with food offered to idols? And we're going to get to that, okay? But to try to connect a few dots here, this idea of knowing God, I just want to rapid fire here a few scriptures at you. Uh, John ten fourteen says this, uh, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Galatians 4, 8 and 9 says, formerly when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods with a little g. But now that you have come to know God or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? kind of packs a punch, doesn't it? 2 Timothy 2.19 says this, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? And I cut and pasted that twice, if you didn't catch that. So you get the point, right? You get the point that being known by God, there, there's this equation at work here. Being known by God equates to not being enslaved to the passions of the world. Right? Not being slaves, not turning to the world. He even asked the question, like, why do you want to go back to the world and be its slaves once more? Right? Knowing God, being known by God. Right? He talks about love. Right? If anyone loves God, he is known by God. 1 John 3.16 says this. It says, we know that this is love, that he laid down his life for us, and that we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. 1 John 4.20 says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Another one of those things that packs a punch, right? And so to try to connect a few, few dots here, right? We, we can't love God if we don't love God's people. It's impossible, right? We're, we're told here that if we say that we love God and we don't have love for the people that God created, that, that we're liars, right? That's pretty black and white. There's no ambiguity to that. And it tells us to love one another means that we would lay down our lives for one another. Again, no ambiguity there. And why do we do that? We do that because we're known by God and we're known by God because we're not enslaved to the passions of the world. Right? All, so it's like the, this domino effect, right? To know God or to be known by God causes us to see him for who he is and to have love for his people and that we would go to extraordinary lengths to demonstrate 
that love. And so in the context of what Paul is talking about here, he, he brings up this issue of food offered to idols and quickly goes into this thought of, of knowing about God versus actually knowing God and loving God and loving God's people. Right? We're going to continue to unpack this, so bear, bear with me as we make our way through. Right? We're going to connect some dots as we go. In verses 4 through 6, right, we see this next dichotomy of, of many gods versus one God. He says, Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods with a little g and many lords with a little l, yet there is one God, the Father, from whom, all, from whom are all things and from who, for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. So Paul starts off with the concern, and then he quickly moves into a therefore. Right? So in other words, in light of this concern, in light of loving God, in light of loving his people, he brings this next dichotomy. Many gods versus one God. Right? And for most of us sitting in this room, we're probably thinking, okay, I, I, worship, I worship the one God. I don't worship the many gods. I certainly don't worship idols. Right, as, as Paul talks about here. But here's the thing. Paul is talking about food at a physical level. And here's the thing with food. Like, is food inherently evil? No. Right? We all eat food every day. Right? We would die if we didn't eat food. Right? So food is not inherently evil. So the, the problem here that Paul is addressing isn't necessarily that the food is bad and that you should stay away from the food. Right, what Paul is addressing here as the real issue is idolatry. Right? Food is the physical, the physical thing that's happening, the physical issue, but idolatry is what is at the heart here. And Paul is telling the Corinthian people, you're chasing after these other gods. Right? Do you think that might be relevant to 2013 America? Do we chase after other gods? We do. What, what kind of things... Do we chase after? We, we chase after money. We chase after stuff. We chase after uh, our own comfort, our own safety, our own well-being. We chase after our reputation. We chase after relationships. Right? We chase after all kinds of things. And, and while the Corinthian people were actually worshiping little idols, little statues carved out of wood or made out of metal... Right? We, we may not have those today, but, but we have idols all the same. And our idols just take different shape than the idols in Corinth. That's where, that's where this becomes relevant to you and I in present day America. And Paul says, okay, you know, you know that the idols don't have any power. Right? And I could say to you, you know that whatever that thing is that you're chasing after, does it really have any power to make you righteous? Does it really have any power to do the things that God does? Right? Does your job have that kind of power? No. We, we might even acknowledge that. Right? Yet we still chased after that like it's everything. Right? I could sit here and say to you, your reputation is as much as you want to have a good one. 
That doesn't have any real power to give you fulfillment because it's good one day and it's bad the next. Right? That can turn on a dime. Right? The Bible says that, that God doesn't change. Right? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Right? So, so that people's perception of us, right? that's a fleeting thing and we, we know that. Yet we still chase after it. Right? For some of us, we, we, we try to amass possessions. And, and are our possessions inherently evil? No, they're not. Just like food isn't inherently evil, our possessions are not inherently evil. Right? But, but it's the place that they occupy in our heart that makes it idolatry. And we could even acknowledge that. Yet come Monday morning, we're, we're back to the grindstone so we can continue to chase after whatever it is that next thing is that we want to buy. Right? I, I hope the rubber's meeting the road for some of us in here in, in hearing this. Right? There's, there's lots of idols that we can chase after. The problem is, is that we don't acknowledge them as such. And so, so Paul is saying here, you, you know that these things don't possess any power. You know that there's only one God. But he takes a minute to remind them, we're, we're here because the God that created everything created us and we're created for him everything was created through him by him for him and to him we read something similar in colossians chapter 1 and paul reminds them of this right he's he's bringing the gospel into their situation he's bringing the gospel into this issue of eating food offered to idols and do, do you notice a little ways into this paul hasn't said yet Eat it or don't eat it, right? There's probably people reading this letter when Paul wrote it like, I just want to know if it's okay or not. Can I do this or can't I? Right? Do you think we do that today in 2013 America? Just tell me what's okay. Tell me how to live, right? Tell me if it's okay to watch this movie or listen to this kind of music. Tell me. Tell me if this is okay. Like I want to know, I want to know how far I can go and still be good. Right? That's relevant to us. That's relevant to me. Right? I just want to know what I can get away with. And Paul, Paul hasn't answered that question yet. He will, but he hasn't answered the question yet. He's reminding people. You've got you to know God and you've got to worship God. And if you don't worship God, it's because you don't know him. Because if you knew him, you would worship him. And if you knew him, you wouldn't be so concerned about this knowledge. You wouldn't be so concerned with... Can I do this thing or can't I do this thing? You wouldn't be so concerned about it if you were reminded that the God of the universe, that you exist for him. You don't exist to eat food or not eat food that's of a questionable nature. You don't exist to work a career. You don't exist to raise a family primarily, right? We, these are things we do, but they're not our primary reason for existence, Right? Paul reminds the Corinthian believers that you exist for God. You exist to worship him. And here's the thing. like We know that we're created to worship, but when we don't worship God, that's when we begin to chase after these other things. And we need to be reminded over and over and over and over that we exist to worship God. Right? God with a big G, not, not God with a little G. 
Because we're always, okay, okay, yeah, okay, great. But then quickly we're, we're over here and we're, we're chasing these other things again. We're chasing the, the little G gods. Remember, worship big G God. Okay, now I'm chasing little G gods. Remember, okay, and now I'm back chasing these things again. Right? It's the pattern of our life. And we need to see that for what it is and acknowledge it for what it is. And this is what Paul is calling to the carpet. Right? Hey guys, the issue is not necessarily food. The issue is who or what do you worship? Because if you worship God, this idea of food wouldn't be an issue. It would, just, it would work itself out. It would be a non-issue. The real issue here is what occupies space in your heart. Psalm 145 says this. <clears throat> I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all. His mercy is over all that he has made. Your work shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all of his words and kind in all of his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them in their due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all of his ways and kind in all of his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. And let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. We exist to worship God. And we're told here that when we worship God, that he'll fulfill our desires. Right Now, what that doesn't mean is that God is a means to an end to get this idol that I'm chasing over here. That's not, that's not what that means. God is not a means to an end. Right? Do you think in 2013 America we look at God as a means to an end? All the time. God, if I could, if I could just have this, right? you fill in the blank, then, then life would be good. Right? If you could just get rid of, of this, then, then we're good. God, I, I have a plan, and I want you to let you know my plan. And if you could just do things the way that I've lined out for you, right? It's kind of ridiculous, but that's what we do. That's how we pray, right? Do you ever pay attention to how you pray? A lot of times it's like that. God, I have an idea. 
you could just do this and things could go this way and you could work this out and, and do this over here. Yeah, yeah, do it that way. Right? And, and imagine God sitting on his throne, like, <laughs> whatever, dude. Right? <laughs> I've already got this figured out. Trust me. That's what he would say. Trust me. Worship me. When you worship me, I'll give you the desires of your heart. And the way that that works is that when we worship God, he becomes the desire of our heart. And that's what we get. Right? Kind of cool how that works, right? And so, this is what Paul is saying to these people. You're worshiping the wrong thing. And because you're worshiping the wrong thing, you're having these stupid arguments about, can you eat this food or can you not eat this food? Right? And he's later... To spoil it for you, he's going to go on to say, eat, eat it or don't, but worship me and love your brother. Right? That's kind of how this is going to end. So the food is of little consequence. And I think a lot of, a lot of times the things that we make issue of really at the end of the day are, are of little consequence. The bigger issue is, well, what's going on right here? What's going on in your heart? What are you chasing after? What are you worshiping? Right? That is probably more often than not the bigger issue that we face. So Paul brings the concern, food offered to idols, and he quickly says, no God. Right? And then he throws out a therefore. Right? No God, therefore, worship him. And then he moves into, in verse 7, a however. Right? Here, here comes the but. Right? And it's a big one. Right? However, he says, not all possess this knowledge, but some through former association with idols eat food as really offered to an idol and their conscience being weak is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. And we'll pause there for just a moment. Right here. Here's the however. Right? Worshiping God comes at a cost. Right? The, the Corinthian believers were stumbling their brothers because of their liberty. And, and this is something that, that I think is, is largely misunderstood in the Bible. Right? We look at, at this phrase of stumbling my brother because we see it come up in other places. Right? Romans 14, it comes up quite a bit. This idea of stumbling our brother. Right? What it doesn't mean to stumble your brother is to offend him. Right? That's not what Paul is saying. Right? That, that's kind of how we interpret that a lot of times. It offends me that you do that, so you need to stop doing that. Right? that that's oftentimes where we go. Right? Your choice in movies, it offends me. You shouldn't watch those. Right? The places that you hang out on a Friday night offend me, so you shouldn't do that. Right? That's not what Paul is saying, and, and as a matter of fact, Paul would, in other places, call that legalism, right? What Paul is talking about when it, he talks about stumbling your brother is that when my behavior causes you to sin, I'm stumbling you, right? He, he says here that some people, it says, through their former association with idols, eat food as really offered to idols. In other words, these people who, who have a past, right? Many of us in this, like we all have a past, right? But some of us have kind of a hairy past, right? And because of your past, right, you choose not to participate in certain activities today because of where they led you in the past, 
right? And what Paul is saying is by you participating in that activity, your brother over here who struggled with that in the past, he sees you doing it and he says, well, if he does it, it must be okay. So I'm going to go ahead and do it. And it leads that brother back into sin. That's what Paul's getting at here. Right? In the context, he's saying, you can go eat food, and there's nothing wrong with this food offered to idols. You can go do it. Right? But remember, there's some people in your midst that used to sacrifice to those very same idols. And when they see you doing that, that's cause for them to go back into that lifestyle that they've gotten away from. Right? That's what it means to stumble your brother. That's what Paul is talking about. Right? Do you think that's relevant to us in, in modern day America? Do we, do we stumble one another? Probably more often than we care to realize or care to admit. Right? Different Bible study for a different time, but, but Romans 14 would even say, if you're, if you're the brother who is a little more liberal, don't pressure the person who's more conservative. And if you're the one who's conservative, quit being offended at the brother that's liberal. Because at the end of the day, I hope that you both love God. And I hope that what you both are doing, you're doing out of faith. Right? That's what Paul would say. And Paul would actually call the more conservative person the, the weaker brother. Right? Like I said, another, another Bible study for another day. But it, it bears some relevance on, on what we're talking about here. So this idea of, of stumbling our brother. Right? Kind of going back up to the beginning when he, when he talks about knowing God, loving God, and this, this connection of loving God and loving people, right? Here, here's where we connect that dot. If you're more concerned with your right to, to participate in an activity than you are about your brother or sister, right? That scripture that we read in 1 John would say you might not love God. You might not love God. That's harsh. And it's kind of scary to think about, right? Paul would say to these Corinthian believers, and he will say that, that it's perfectly within your rights to eat this food. You could go do it. But the call to us as believers is, is not to, to live in such a way where our rights are what's most important. Right? We have a lot of rights, especially living in America. Like We even have a bill of rights. Right? We have a document that tells us what all of our rights are. Right? We have a lot of rights living in the country in which we live. But what Paul is saying here is, yeah, you have the right, but that's, that's not what's really important. At the end of the day, what's, what's really important is the other person. Right? And that's, that's the call to the Corinthian believers. That's the call to you and me is to live in such a way where your rights become secondary, right? And the privilege of another person becomes primary. Thinking of that in a, in a bigger picture term, does that, does, that, does that sound familiar in the story of the gospel? Like, can, can you think of a man who laid aside his rights and made our privilege primary? Connecting some dots here. He goes on to say in verse 10, For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, the weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. 
Thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it's weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Right? Having a little bit of understanding of what all this means, that, that last sentence is powerful. It's absolutely powerful. Another place in Corinthians, Paul would actually say, if I could be the one to be a curse, in other words, if I could be the one who's damned to hell, I would do it for the sake of everybody else. Right? Can you say that? I can't say that. Maybe I won't say it. I don't know. But here, here's Paul, right? For the sake of my brother. Like, how many, how many of you guys like a good steak? Like, in my opinion, it's one of the greatest things on earth is a good steak, right? There is nothing better to me than a nice, big, fat ribeye, right? Beef, right? I'll take any kind of beef, but, but really, like, I have a special place in my heart for a good ribeye. Right, go to a place like Cattleman's, and eat like the 32-ounce, or, man, I will put that thing away. <laughs> and here's Paul. I will never have one of those again, ever, if it's going to cause my brother to stumble. Laying aside his right, laying aside his right for the sake of his brother, that, that's... That's almost a foreign concept. Like we read about it, but like do we really live that way? M many of us probably not because maybe it's not so much that we can't, it's more that we won't. Right? Why should I lay aside my rights for you because your conscience is weaker than mine? It's not fair is what we might say. It's not fair. Right? You kids ever say that to you? Dad, it's not fair. Right? We, we say that to God. We may not say those exact words, but, but really we say that to God. Right? Just like our kids say it to us. It's not fair, God. Why do I have to suffer because of him? Why can I never eat a steak again because of him? It's not fair. It may not be fair, but, but it's not the point. It's not the point at all. And really, in fact, when, when that's our response is, it's not fair. Maybe, maybe that stake that we're chasing after, maybe that's our idol, right? Maybe that's one of those little G-gods that, that we worship more than the God. And so, so Paul is, is beautifully addressing this, this issue by getting to the heart of the matter and getting to the, the issue that's bigger Right. Paul would write this to the Philippians in chapter 2. He says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, in other words, if, if you're in, if you, if you worship God, he says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of us not only look to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. But he doesn't stop there. Like I could stop there and I could send you on your way and tell you, do this. Consider others better than yourself. And maybe for a few of you, you might be charged up enough to maybe you'll go do it for a little while. Right? Others of you, you may hit the door and think, whatever. I don't want to do it. 
Right? That's fair. There's sometimes I don't want to do this, so I get that. But Paul doesn't stop there. He goes on to say, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, bestowing upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So he doesn't stop at saying, do this hard thing and consider others more significant than yourself. He brings some context to it. And he says, Jesus was God. And he stepped out of heaven and stepped out of his role of being God and became a man. He set aside the biggest thing that anybody could ever set aside. Right? This wasn't the setting aside of a right to eat a steak. Right? He set aside his right of God, his right of creator, his right of the, the one that holds the universe in his hand. He stepped out of that and set that aside and became one of us. And not only did he become one of us, right? He came here and we caused him to suffer. We rejected him. We didn't acknowledge who he was. We denied who he was. So the creator came to creation and we said, we don't want you here. And we hung him on a cross, subjected him to one of the most brutal ways that anybody can die. Right? When you put it that way, like it's ridiculous. It sounds ridiculous, but it's, it's, it's what we did. We, humankind, right? Humanity, that's what we did. And Paul is saying in here that Jesus is now exalted and he's the name above every name. And that one day, everybody will bow to him. One day, everybody will acknowledge him as God. One day, everybody will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And for some people, that confession is going to come from faith. And for other people, that confession is going to come on their way to destruction. And so Paul is saying, in light of this, because of this, worship God. And when you worship God, your brother becomes more important. Your rights become less important. Right? Aren't you glad that he doesn't stop at just saying, go do this thing that you probably don't even want to do? Right? He brings it in, in light of the gospel and said, Jesus did it, and he did it for you. And when you begin to understand that, when you begin to piece together in your mind this picture of the gospel, when you realize that you were God's enemy, you weren't indifferent to God, you and I were God's enemy, right? God pursued us, God called us, God chose us, when you begin to realize that, you begin to look at God's people in a different way. I was talking about this with some guys the other day. Like loving my enemy, like I can't imagine anything harder to do. Because I have zero interest in loving my enemy. I don't want to do it. Even if I could, I just flat out don't want to. Right? I refuse to. I don't want to do it. But, but when this truth begins to take root in your life, when it begins to take root in your heart and you realize 
I was God's enemy and God loved me even though I was his enemy and he set aside his right and stepped into my world in order that he could know me. Right? When you begin to piece that together, you begin to look at other people, especially those who you might consider your enemy, and you say, you know what? Just like that person was my enemy, I, I was God's enemy. Who am I to look at that person with any judgment, with any condemnation? And it's, it's almost like this thing where you, you kind of don't have enemies because you realize, like, that was me. It was me, and God, God rescued me. And so now you look at your enemy, and rather than you know gritting your teeth and clenching your fists, like, I don't like that guy, you can look at that guy and say, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for that guy, that God would do the same thing for him that he did for me. Right? That's how you can love your enemy. It's like you kind of don't have an enemy. And, and so Paul, in his address to the Philippians, that, that, that ties here in Corinthians 8, it's this call to, to worship the God. Not these other gods of which one is, might be your rights. But worship your rights. Don't worship your rights. Because in so doing you destroy your brother. You destroy the one for whom Christ died. Right? That's kind of heavy. Not kind of, it's heavy. It's a heavy, heavy thing. And so... As we wrap up here, and the, the band, you guys can come on up. As we wrap up here, the, the call to us in this is not necessarily do these things and don't do these things. Because here's the thing. I could give you a list. I could, I could send you home with a list today that says here's the acceptable behaviors for a believer. And I could send you home with another list that says here's unacceptable behaviors for a believer. And I could give each of you this list. Right? And you're going to go out and you're going to go home and you're going to go to work and you're going to end up doing the things on, on the don't do list and you're going to end up not doing the things on the, the to do list. Right? We're going we're to mess them both up. We're going to fail. We're going to fail at them. And so the, the point in this isn't, okay, engage in these activities, don't engage these activities. The point of this is worship and love God and realize that God knows you. And in so doing, you're free to love your brother and you're free now to set aside your rights and you're free now to look at your brother and say, you're more important than I am. Right? That's the call in this. And really that's the crux of the gospel. Right? God looking at us and saying, I'm, I'm going to redeem mankind who has sinned against me. I'm going to step into their world and through Jesus, I'm going to lay aside my, my right of being God. Lay, lay it aside and pursue these people who I know are ultimately going to hate me. Right? And he did it. And so not only do we see that as an example, but when that truth, like I said before, takes root in our heart, the only response to understanding that truth that makes any sense whatsoever is that we would do the same thing. Right? And if you're struggling to do that same thing, maybe it's because there's, there's a, a disconnect in your understanding of the gospel. Because if we could understand the gospel fully, like 100%, this probably wouldn't be much of a struggle. Right? We're sinful, but I mean, if we, but if we had full understanding, right? I don't think we would struggle nearly as much, but, but we're finite beings trying to understand something that's infinite, and so we're never going to understand it fully, right? Until we're no longer finite. 
And so we struggle through it, right, in, in modern-day America. But, but the call to us is because you understand the gospel, that should lead you to worship God. And because you worship God, it should lead you to love your brother. And because you love your brother, it should lead you to this willingness to lay aside your rights for the sake of your brother. Right, we're going to take communion in just a moment, and we'll pray here in just a moment. But as we move to the communion table, right, it, it, it's, it's very apt that we would take communion today because the purpose of communion is to remind us of, of the truth that we've been talking about, to remind us of the gospel, to remind us that, that God pursued us when we were running hard away from him. Right, and, and, and God instituted communion saying that whenever you do this, that you would remember me, that you would remember my pursuit of you, that you would remember that I laid aside my rights for your sake, that you would remember in the shedding of my blood and the breaking of my body that, that that's a physical picture of how far I was willing to go to lay aside my rights so that I could know you. Right, We do communion pretty much every week here, and, and I hope that it's not something that, that just becomes routine for us, not just one of the things that we do at the end of the service, but week in and week out that we would remember this truth every time we, we take the cup and we take the cracker, that it would represent the truth of the gospel, that it would represent what we've talked about today. So feel free to get communion on your own as the next song goes and do just that remember remember the truth of the gospel as you do let me pray god thank you so much for your pursuit of us god thank you so much that you continually call us from our idols to worship you God, it, it just doesn't seem like enough sometimes to say that, that I'm sorry that I pursue other things. It's not enough. So, God, I would just ask today that you would grant us repentance, God, for our pursuit of other things. God, some of us don't even know that we're pursuing other things. I don't always know that I'm pursuing other things. So, God, I would ask that you would open up our eyes God, show us what our idols are. God, show us the things that we pursue that are not you. And God, as you reveal those things to us, that you would grant us repentance of those things, that we would be able to turn from the right to the left and go in the complete opposite direction and pursue you. God, may we not get hung up on the things that we should or shouldn't do or the things that we can or can't do, God, may we be hung up on you and worshiping you. God, may we be hung up on loving our brothers and our sisters. So much so, God, that we would be willing to set aside our rights and consider their privilege more important than our right. God, show us how to love you more.
You've been listening to the teaching ministry at Calvary Chapel of Kirk County, located in Primeville, Oregon. For more information on this ministry, or if you'd like to contribute, please feel free to write us at P.O. Box 378, Primeville, Oregon 97754. Or check us out further at our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com. We thank you so much for listening, and we pray that this ministry has blessed you.